Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. Aren't you glad he's uh, always willing for us to come home, come running to him? Mm. It's a good thing to run to him on Wednesdays, isn't it? Seems like middle of the week. Uh, hey, if you're our guest tonight, I want to quickly say this. If you'll notice on the chair backs in front of you, there's a little QR code. Uh, this will help us minister to you. So if you'll take just a second and scan that and give us a little information of how we can minister to you, okay? Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. We, we don't want to be just a place you come and visit. Uh, we want to be a place that helps minister to you along the journey because the journey is difficult. All right. I was hoping somebody was going to amen. The journey down here is a difficult one. Why? We are fallen people living in a fallen world. The fall affected everything, creation. Uh, every part of it. And so thanks be to God for Jesus who reversed the curse on the cross. Um, but we will not experience that perfection until we get home. And might I remind you tonight, this is not home. Uh, we're on a journey like sojourners and pilgrims was what Peter says. And he said, as you go through the time of your stay here, do it with fear and trembling, uh, trusting in the Lord our God. So tonight, First Peter, can you believe that? Chapter 5, we are probably going to finish tonight. Can you believe that? And I'm a little sad. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, let me ask this. Did, did everybody get a copy of our outline? No. If you did not, would you raise your hand up, and they'll make sure that they bring one to you. And you'll notice on the left-hand side, those Roman numerals, okay? And uh, I want to point that out to you because uh, it's another reminder how less than ordinary your preacher is. And if you'll see, those Roman numerals are not they're not correct. Do you notice that? Everybody, if you look at that with your eyes, notice that for me. Will you correct those for me? All right. I think four is on there twice. Am I correct? Yes, my outline looks different than yours. And so four is on there uh, two different times. And so if you'll take four, the second four, and make it five, just a V. And then the second one, the next one will be six, which is a V and, a, and an I. All right. So uh, thank you for that. And again, uh, I'm glad that God continues to remind us that I am so less than ordinary. Uh, and so I'm thankful that God's allowing us to be together tonight. And there's, again, another example that as tonight he preaches through somebody like me, uh, it's going to be evident that it's God who's doing it and not me um, because I could not do it on my own. All right, so tonight's title is Victory in Difficulty. And uh, let's do a quick review because we're about to finish this book. Uh, we are, you know, if you look in your notes there, you see that we're beginning tonight in, in verse number five. And so somebody's going to say, uh, what's peculiar about that? Anybody know? There we go. Somebody, somebody said, y'all nervous. We skipped some, right? And uh, we're going to briefly talk about that in just a minute, okay? Just kind of walk through the, the, the speaking to the elders or the pastors. Uh, Bishop Presbyterian, that's the word for elder. It's pastor. It's where what we have modern day is pastor. So I'm going to talk about that quickly tonight. Um, but uh, you, you'll understand why. And then we're going to pick up in verse 5 and try and go through verse number 11, all right? Can y'all think you're up for that tonight? Yes. Did you bring your good listening ears, quick listening ears? Yeah. All right. And so you have your outline so you don't have to write fast. That's a good thing. 
And uh, tonight, remember the author is a man by the name of Peter, we said was once known as Chicken Little Peter, because he said in the garden, I'll follow you to the very end, even if it costs me my life. And Jesus said, no, you won't. And of course, when the opportunity came, once again, it proved that Jesus was right and Peter was wrong. It proved also that in the midst of Peter's failure, Jesus knowing it ahead of time, he still loved him and he loved him all the way to the end. You say, you mean he stopped loving him sometime? No, all the way to the end of Peter's journey here on earth and he's going to continue loving him in heaven, okay? And so he loved loved him to the end. Uh, there's hope for me and there's hope for you. It doesn't matter where you've been or how much you failed him. He loves you and nothing will ever change that. And even, listen to this, if you're his child tonight, uh, you need to understand that you're going to fail him. It's not a crutch to lean on. It's not an excuse to keep on in behave, bad behavior. But what it is, is it reminds us of the wonderful love of God that is not like anybody else's love on planet earth. It is a love all to its own. And it loves me and you past our failures. Boy, you ought to be shouting amen right now on Wednesday night. And so as we think about Peter, and then the transformation happened. Jesus' death. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. Why? He only needed it for just a little while. On the third day, he rose again. And Peter, seeing the resurrected Jesus, who was on the earth 40 days before the ascension, then in the day of Pentecost, that means 50, 50 days, it means 50 days after, he received the Holy Spirit of God. And as he received the Holy Ghost, we see the evidence that Peter saw Jesus' resurrected body and the evidence of the Spirit in his life because he went from chicken little Peter to bold lion Peter. Now he's preaching to thousands of people who were there and responsible and cheering to crucify him when Jesus was carried and beaten and crucified on the cross. So we're walking through the text and we're thinking about Peter's life, the authors. Good to know who wrote it, right? Who did the Holy Spirit choose to write this letter? It's good for us to know that. And so as he did that, then he preaches to this large group as he does. He points his finger at them and boldly says, you murdered Jesus the Christ. And you would expect those people to say, oh yeah, well you're next. And they didn't. They said, what must we do to be, come on, you got to listen faster and you got to respond. Come on now. I know it's Wednesday and you're mentally tired and worn out, but stay with me. So they said, what must we do to be saved? And he told them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they shall be saved. And they repent and they turn from their sin and they come to Jesus. Thousand, 3,000 added to the church just that one time. And so later on in his life, we see the Holy Ghost pin this letter through Peter to a group of people who were living in Disney World, right? No, uh, they were living in Rome, and they, and they had faced a great fire. Nero burned things. He was a crazy person. Uh, and you do a little research on Nero's life. He was absolutely full of the devil. And uh, he would dip Christians in wax, set them on fire, put them on a pole, and read his books by their burning body light. And so he said when he burnt, everybody got mad, Christians and non-Christians alike. He said the only way for me to escape the persecution of my own people and an uproar is to say these weird group of Christians, because they're smaller, there weren't many of them, uh, blame it on them. And so he did. And so now they're facing the difficulty of the fire, but also the persecution of those around them who say you weird people are evildoers. That's a word you'll hear over and over. You're evildoers. What was the evil that the people thought they'd done? Set the fires. And now Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is telling them, this is a perfect opportunity for you to shine the light of Jesus. Now, our flesh doesn't like to hear that. Our flesh would rather hear God say, it's okay if you blow your testimony. Don't worry about how you act and how you act and how you talk and don't worry about any of that. Just hug each other in a group circle hug, and it doesn't matter how you live because life's hard. But that's not what you hear. You hear the opposite. You hear Peter challenging them to rise up and shine for the glory of God. But he builds all of that on the premise from chapter 1 that it's all based on the fact that they have a living hope. They've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the re reason he can say to them boldly, now, in this dark hour, live this way. And I want to say to you, what this book has reminded me of is that I have no excuse. 
can I say that to you again tonight? Uh, one of the great themes of this book that has really encouraged my heart over these last days is that, Terry, whenever you think you're off the hook, you're not off the hook. When you think you have a good reason not to shine for Jesus, you're wrong. Um, and so it takes every excuse away. The context of what they're going through takes every excuse away. Now, let's pick up in chapter number five. Are you all ready? Did I put you to sleep with that quick jog through the life of Peter and uh, the premise of the book? No, I hope it helps you with that. You ought to be able to tell people that, by the way. How many of you think you could tell somebody? Uh, I'm not going to get you the microphone, so relax. Uh, some of y'all got deer in the headlight. I didn't even begin to lean that way. But if I was to ask you, do you think you could tell somebody, a neighbor, a coworker, a good friend, you know, over a cup of coffee, you could say, let me tell you who wrote this letter and what was going on and, and why. How many of you think you could do that to a close personal friend? Raise your hand up high. All right, amen. So that, that blesses your pastor's heart. That's the purpose of what we're doing. Not for me to spoon feed you and you to say, oh, I got entertained. It was a great night. But for you to be able to obey the command of Jesus when he said, go and make disciples. Okay, that's your charge from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's pick up in verse number one. Now, I'm not going to stand here and read because I'm going to talk through the first four verses. Is that okay? Now, Jackie said, I've got to hurry. Uh, let me tell you what I mean by that. I've been wrestling today uh, with how to preach this text in a major way over the last three days because it's verses one through four is a whole different audience he's speaking to of the, of the total group. Does that make sense to you? And then in verse number five, he picks up and speaks again to the people. And so I've I, I just really wrestled because there's such good stuff in verses one through four that you need to know, but it's really directed to the elder, to the, to the pastors, okay? And so um, as, you, as you understand, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to quickly talk through that, okay? But I was wrestling through, I'm like, I'm going to preach this, maybe I'll save the other, um, but I just couldn't. The Lord just said, you know, I want you to mention this to them, help them say this, but then I want you to dive in and get a little deeper on the next verse. So let's look at verse 1 through 4. Are you there? Read through it real quickly as I talk. Can we do two things at once? All right, read, speed read now. Read as fast as you can because the kids are already getting restless back there, I'm certain, all right? So uh, first of all, he's talking about the elders. That word elder is the Greek word presbyteria, which is a, where we get presbytery or, uh, or, el, excuse me, or bishop or where later on the word, if you've studied the history, turns into the word pastor, okay? And so it is, uh, it is in First Peter where we find out the qualifications of the elder uh, or the pastor, same thing. And uh, what you'll notice about that, uh, somebody asked me the question the other day, are, are women uh, qualified to be pastors? Not by God. Not by God they're not. And you said, now wait a minute, I can't believe, your male show, now listen to me, I'm telling you what God said, and I'm not sorry for it, and it doesn't make you of less value because, listen, I don't know where we had understood it somehow that God loves pastors more than he loves people because pastors are people. And he loves us all the same. Uh, so, so, so watch this thing. You said, well, how do you know? There's a lot of, if you ever have some questions about that, reach out to me. I'll give you a long study on why they're not, okay, why ladies are not supposed to be the lead pastor, teaching pastor of the church, all right? Now, one quick thing, I'll just give you a little logic. When, uh, when Paul is telling Timothy about the qualifications of the other, he says he's to be a husband of Oh, husband being masculine and wife being feminine. And you can't be a wife of a wife if he said you have to be a husband of a wife. All right, there's, y'all looking at me sad. Don't be sad, man. Hey, you all never feel bad about God's design. You all never feel bad about God's design. Remember about the culture that wants to tell you that the helper term for the woman is less than? What nonsense. If God says you're a helper, here there are four people in the category of helper in the Word of God. And they are, y'all help me, ladies, God the Father, God the Son, and God the, and one more, the wife. That's pretty high company. 
And so hang on to that, okay? Again, if you want to know some more about that, reach out to me, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll, oh, boy, I'll give you so much uh, proof. It'll be, oh, man, it's good. So the elders who are among you, I exhort. So now he's talking, I'm going to talk to the pastors, the ones who are over and leading and overseeing. I'm going to speak directly to you. Quickly, what does he tell them? He tells them, first of all, he identifies with them. He says, I'm a fellow uh, as, as well. But he said, I'm a witness of the suffering. So he reminds them of the main theme of the book. There's suffering. Jesus suffered, and we will suffer. Remember that? We're learning in this book that we're not to think positive past uh, there's some nonsense on the TV that'll tell you if you think positive, everything will be all right. And uh, that's not scriptural. You want, you want to be informed by the Bible, not by people's opinions, okay? And if you can read 1 Peter and, and then honestly look me in the face and tell me if I think positive, I can project myself into my best destiny now, you've missed it. You've missed it. He said you are going to suffer and it's going to be good for you. You can't see it in the moment, but it's working something good. It's refining you like fire. It's making you desperate. It's driving you to Jesus. And, uh, oh, it's just wonderful, okay? So uh, let me move on. He says, uh, also are a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He said, I also have a future hope like you do. I've not fully revealed the glory. I've not experienced it all yet, but when I die, all the glory that's promised to me that Jesus has bought for me, I'm going to experience. Okay, moving on. He says, as we're walking through chapter 2, excuse me, verse number 2, Shepherd the flock. Now, this word shepherd is a term that means uh, a shepherd that, that feeds, uh, that waters, that grooms, um, that, that rules over the sheep. Do you, do you understand the relationship of a, of a sheep and a shepherd in the aspect of ruling? The word literally means to rule over a group like a shepherd over sheep and goats. Now, how does a shepherd rule over sheep, all right? Do, let me ask you this question. Does a shepherd help implement rules to the sheep in the, in the flock. Yeah, because one rule would be that don't walk off that cliff. And the sheep, sheep, you know, the sheep aren't very sharp, so God calls me and you sheep, and uh, they need help, right? And they'll, you know that they'll, they'll walk off a cliff. Did you know that about sheep? And what will happen is if they don't have a shepherd to help them, they'll just follow each other off, just keep walking off there and die. And I said, boy, that's a picture of my life, I'm telling you. Uh, I, did, did you, anybody else, high school, college, you did, followed people into some of the, you look back and say, how could I have been so stupid? And so they need a shepherd. A shepherd is, implements rules. He has a, a rod and a staff. One is for rescue. The other is for correction. And so a question I want to quickly pose to you because he talks about the, the shepherd shepherding. And God really has to stir on my heart about this because uh, part of that is Paul tells Timothy to rebuke, correct, instruct in the ways of righteousness. And uh, I thought about this the other day when I was at the ball field. Y'all out there still? And so the Lord really convicts me sometimes because he says part of my role is to correct you. Ugh, when I got my own mess. You with me? So I don't like that design, but it's not my design. And so I have to ask myself, and, and by the way, I like to just get along and hang out and go fish and drink coffee together and have fun, talk about the things of God. But he says my part of my role is to rebuke, correct, instruct, and righteousness. So, so in essence, here's what I want you to think about. I'm going to move on quickly. Uh, at the ballpark, I, I hear people sometimes act a complete fool. Now, a fool, as determined by the word of God, is any person who says in their heart there is no God. Now, preacher, how can you say somebody acts at the ball field like they're like a fool? Well, they act like there's no God watching them. They act like there's no God sitting there on the, on the sidelines. They act like there's no God listening to them talk about the umpire. Uh, they act like there's no God watching them uh, treat their children and other people's children uh, the way they're treating them over a silly yard game. And he sees all of that, but we act a fool when we act like he's not there. And God reminded me then, if it's, if it's the people that are in the flock that he's entrusted, and there's a word he's going to use in a minute, entrusted. 
And if it's part of the flock I'm interested, first of all, it convicts me that I need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit on the, side, on the sideline, but also that if one of my people are not, then I should be able to, let me ask you a question. How would you take it if I came to you and said in private, hey, you know the way that you cussed and acted like you did on the, on the sidelines? Now, now listen, that's ungodly, and that doesn't honor God, and that's wrong, and here's the scriptures that prove it. And let me just and you say, well, y'all looking at me like crazy right now. But I just wanted to give you a real-life example of what it means to shepherd. And my question for you was, how would you handle that? How would you handle it if I just got you to the side and said, see, I know, somebody say, who do you think you are? And I'm nobody. But the office that God's put me in is the under-shepherd. And boy, you're talking about, it's just a lot going on in my heart. You see the struggle that I have all the time, you know, about what's going on in my life, what's going on in your life. And there are a bunch of y'all. You know, and, and so just consider that, okay? Now, moving right along, I'm moving right along. Shepherd the flock. That, but it also means I'm to feed you. My number one responsibility is to feed you. What am I supposed to feed you? The Word. Now, I like feeding you red beans and rice, and I like, you know, I like cooking and doing those kinds of things. I love that stuff, man. But what I really have grown to love is to teach you the Word of God. I used to despise it. You said, what? You, y'all know my story. I was so shy. I didn't want to get in front of anybody. And Tina can tell you in those first years, I, when if I knew somebody was asking me to go preach, I'd always say yes. But, man, I'd be like, man, all week. She'd say, you're a jerk. You know, you're just thinking you're dreading going to preach, and you're not being friendly and fun. And, and, uh, and I, just, I just dreaded it, man. But now, now, as I've grown in the gifting and God's helped me, helped me, helped me, helped me, I love teaching because I see it set you free. I see you learn it and then go apply it. And I watch it change your marriage. I watch it transform your children. I see it giving them hope and a future. And oh, it's just so fun. It's so fun to see the light bulbs come off. I look out here and I'm like, bing, bing. You see people like, I'm connecting the dots. It all makes sense. It's making more sense now. And then seeing the power of that in your life. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. So uh, feeding you and, and helping you and loving you and, cr- and being there with you. One of the greatest books that I ever read is a book a man gave me early before I started preaching called They Smell Like Sheep. Uh, because I had people telling me, older pastors saying, you can't be their friends. They won't respect you. you can't, they can't get to know the real you. They won't respect you. you got to show up and preach and, and wear your suit and your tie. And that's what all the older pastors told me. And somebody handed me a book called They Smell Like Sheep, and it was the opposite. It said, it said the shepherd is supposed to smell like sheep because he's shoulder to shoulder with them. And, and so he's out there with them serving and doing. And I'm like, thank God, because I couldn't do it the other way. I don't know how to do it that way. And, uh, and so, man, I'm so thankful that, that God's given me. So, all right, I'm trying to quickly go through. See, I told you it was going to be two messages. Come on, Terry. Here we go. All right, he says, uh, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. See, see that? Among you. The shepherd is among them. I mean, you're doing like, we're doing things together. We're serving together. We're, we're, we're among it. And then he says, Serving as overseers, that's one who guards and protects and watches over, sees what's going on, checking things out, uh, overseer, not by compulsion. I'm supposed to do it because of something, uh, somebody having to tell me. In other words, this word speaks to laziness. Uh, nobody ought to have to come beg me to come preach or, or beg me to do something extra or, or ask. You know, they ought not have to, there ought to be a fire in, 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 the, in the pastor's belly to, to do the things of God for the flock and with the flock, okay? Now, you can't do everything, you understand, but, but you ought not have to come knock and drag me off my couch to come uh, preach on Tuesday mornings uh, to the men and, and things. You, you follow me? There should be an eagerness there. Oh, willingly is what he talks about. Then he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, this doesn't mean that the pastor is not supposed to be paid to those who are leading. They're not supposed to be paid. Because as a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy, let, let double honor to those who lead well. Especially, and it's a monetary term, by the way, and you can research that. And this is, you're looking at me like, what is he talking about? I just want you to be informed. I'm not, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the position, okay? Now, as you think about this, overseers, he says, not by compulsion, not by, for dishonest gain, but eagerly. See that? So it's not supposed to be that I come and only what I can get from you. 
And if you're not giving to me, then I don't preach to you. I don't encourage you. I'm not there. Uh, uh, so there's a mark of, 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 of a uh, false teacher, as a matter of fact, who only does it for what they can take away from you. And they don't care about your, they don't pray for you. Not there with you. All right, so then verse number three, nor as being lords over them. So a pastor's not supposed to be a tyrant who's always telling you, I'm the pastor, and so you bow down, do what I say, do. Um, you follow that? It's supposed to be a, a humble, gracious. If there is correction, it's not supposed to be from a platform of condemnation, but from a platform of encouraging and loving and calling you up and not beating you down. And I ought to be able to will anything that I ask you to do, I ought to also be willing to do. Does that make sense to you? And that's why people come to me sometimes and say, why do you, why do, you do You shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, why? Why would I not do that? Because I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm in this together. So, so here's what, and this informs the kind of shepherd that I'm supposed to be, but also the kind of shepherd that you ought to be following under, all right? And you may not be here. You may be visiting from somewhere. And he goes on to say, look in verse 3, nor being lords over those. Listen to this. This, this just touches my heart in such a deep way. Those, listen to what he says. Those, y'all reading verse number 3? Entrusted to you. Uh, did you know that if you're a part of this gathering, God has entrusted you to me? And I don't know if you ever think about that. You may just click on with life and you, you love to come to church and it's fun and all that. But I need you to understand that one day I'll give an account for how I shape, help shape and teach, inform, correct, uh, encourage, provide opportunity for you to live your faith and grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day's coming. You won't stand there with me. Nobody else will stand there with me. It'll just be me. Tina won't. Nobody else will just be me. And I'll give an account for those he entrusted me with. Uh, I hope you understand the weight of that. Uh, I'm still trying to grab a hold of how heavy that is. And also, from the context of you, you ought to be considered of who you entrust yourself, who you allow God to entrust you to. It ought not be the, 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 the music, it ought not be the temperature, it ought not be the style, but it ought to be that you see that there's a shepherd there and you hear about some evidence in their life. And I'm talking about here, now, and everywhere, rest of your life. I want you to be informed as to how you are shepherded. So remember, you're being entrusted by God to an under-shepherd, moving on. Uh, and he says also being an example. You, you ought to be able to look at your, the under-shepherd's life, whether it's a, a youth pastor, what have you. You ought to be able to look at their life and see an example that their faith really impacts how they live Sunday to Sunday. Not just Sunday, but Sunday to Sunday. Y'all tracking with me? An example. Okay, look, I preached three sermons already, and I ain't even got started. I've got to hurry. In the end, verse number four, he talks about the fact that we are give, there will be a great reward from the, I love this terminology, the chief shepherd. And I think one day about the chief shepherd, he's going to appear one day, or I'm going to go see him through a vehicle called death, and I'm going to go see him. And there will be, if, if I remain, if I remain close to him, if I remain surrendered to him, if I remain informed by the word of God, there's going to be a great crown of glory, a great reward uh, for uh, shepherding his people. Okay, now there's the, there's the prelude. Y'all Okay. Did you learn a little something in there? All right, there's just a little prelude. All right, now we're going to get to the sermon. All right, will you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word? We're going to read this quickly, verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> Everybody okay? All right, that was your introduction. We didn't start with the story. We just started right with the Word. Beginning in verse number 5, in honor of reading His Word. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves also to your elders. <clears throat> yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Oh, and be clothed with humility. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, because of that truth, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Why? Somebody help me. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, you have an adversary. He walks, present perfect tense. He's always walking around. 
like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered for a while. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, help us as we continue now. Help me to preach. Help us to listen. Lord, help us listen not just for information, but help us listen for transformation. I pray your spirit would once again prove how simple a vessel you've chosen. Guy who can't even get Roman numerals right. That you could help me by the gift of preaching and the gift of your Holy Spirit to be able to dig into this word and find truths and preach it and present it in a way that we all can get it. Thank you that your power will be on display through the preaching of your word. And Lord, also humble my heart and the hearts of all these that we might listen. And that God, we would make application by the help of your Holy Spirit. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we can even pray. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we're about to dive into the outline. Y'all ready? Yes. You glad you came tonight? You got two for the price of one, didn't you? Isn't that great? Some of y'all are like, man, we're never going to get done. Number one, in your notes, all right? Number one, you see the title is, and it's not written on your outline, so write it there, Victory and Difficulty. Victory and Difficulty. So he turns now from talking to the elders, to the pastors, to the, to the bishops, and now he's turning and he's going to talk to the, everybody else. And he says, uh, here's the main idea if you want to put one down. Well, it's already on there for you, isn't it? Follow God and resist the devil. So number one in your notes there, and it's going to be in verse number five. I want you to fill in the blank with this. Follow those over you. Follow those over you. Would you agree with me tonight that when you were younger, it was harder for you to follow uh, people in authority than it is when you got a little older? Uh, we ha- why do you think that is? Um, possibly you and I had to foul some things up, didn't we? Uh, Mom said, you don't need to ride your bike with the chain loose. And I remember thinking, you know, I ride fine with the chain loose. And uh, I lived in Lake Dockery, and we, there was a hill in front of my house. And she said, you don't need to ride your... And I thought, okay, you just go on in the house. And she did. She obliged. And I got to the top of that hill, and, man, I got to pedaling as fast as I could. And it was feeling so great on that BMX. Man, I was free as the wind. And that chain came off and grabbed that tire. And I went over the handlebars and skin all the hide off the front of my body, my chin, my chest, my thighs. I remember uh, picking my bike up and going, oh, there's no way to hide it. You, you follow? If you got one little spot of road rash, you can hide it a little bit. The whole front of my body was road rash. I remember coming to the door just looking at her. And she, you know my mom, you know what she said? She didn't say, oh, poor baby, come here the moment. She said, I told you. I told you. I had level three, you know, th- third degree burns just, I'm, 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 Add and live a little bit. But she didn't say, come here, baby, let me wash you off. She said, see, I told you. How's that feel? And I remember thinking, man, I probably ought to listen to what she has to say. But it, listen, it wasn't now. Let me just, can I just be honest with you? If you're like me and, and you have a similar story, anybody have a similar story to that? Raise your hand if you have a similar story. Here's the sad part. The next time she said something, I still didn't do it. Huh? You think a whole body full of road rash, at least one, one side, would have been enough that when she says something, you know what, this lady's pretty smart. I should do what she says. No, 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 no. The, the 10-year-old, the 9-year-old, whatever, I knew everything, and I had to learn a whole lot. But, boy, after I finally got enough knot, knots on my head, I got a lot better about uh, trying to listen. And what I mean by that is listening to God. And what I, what I literally, if I want to boil it down to the simplest form, listening to God through his word. And if I read it, instead of having to get my whole front of my body road rashed because I disobey it, 
I strive now to ask God to help me go ahead and apply it before I have to get the road rash. Well, you want to talk about starting to really experience the goodness of God when you don't have to have the road rash and you don't have to wreck relationships and you just sort of start saying, well, you know, I don't understand that, but I'm going to do it because I've learned he knows what he's talking about. And what a, what a great way to live when we live that way. Now, I don't always do that. I don't want you to think that you're talking to a perfect man is looking down at you tonight. Um, but, boy, when I do, what a great way it is. To walk with him. Okay, so number one, follow those over you. Listen to what he says in verse number five. Are you all there? Verse number five. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Uh, listen to those who are in authority over you. Uh, pay attention to them, what they say to you and how they say it to you and, and uh, make application. Okay, so follow those over you. Now, here, here's the number two. Look at this one. Uh, verse number five also. Do not boss each other. Okay, now you, do you all see that? Do not boss each other. That's, a, that's kind of a unique way of wording what you find, the principle you find in the next phrase of verse number five. Listen to how he says it. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves also to your, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Submissive means to find myself subordinate to, uh, underneath. In other words, I'm not the only one. I, my way is not the only way. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about compromising on the truth of God's word. But what I'm talking about is perspectives that I think I have the only perspective on, and you may have a different perspective, and me to mistreat you and to treat you as less than because your perspective is different than my perspective. Listen to me. We only know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. Can I, can I tell you that? I, I oftentimes preach and help you guys and share with you the fact that we have very limited perspectives. We are one person, right, in one location in one little speck of human history, on one planet, in one galaxy, amongst millions, and here we are thinking that we are, the only, our way is the only way, the way that we understand things, the only way to understand it, and it causes us to be at odds with each other about some of the stupidest things. Well, I don't agree but about that, you know, I just don't think we all, you know, and, and we mistreat people who, by the way, are the prized possession of God. And we'll, and now, remember the context. Dog eat dog? No. Y'all help me. Come on. Dog eat? Boy, y'all hadn't heard that. I've said it 161 times in the last month. We said the world of their context was dog eat dog, but more than that, it was dog eat Christian. They hated them. The outside world hated them. They thought they were evildoers. They thought they set the fires. So it wasn't just the world was eating the world up. No, the world was wanting to eat up the Christians because of what they thought they had done. And so now he's saying to them, you are going to have to, in order for you to make it through this, in order for you to keep going, you can't be bossing each other around. You can't have the only opinion. You can't mistreat each other because of perspectives that you have. You've got to love each other and have grace for each other. And we just talked about, we just talked about on Sunday the fact that love covers a multitude of sins, right? This kind of love that should be in us, the love of Jesus. And that's not, listen, he's not saying that love covers sin like Jesus' sin, uh, blood covers our sin. No. That's uh, appeasement. He's not talking about, he's talking about the love of Jesus in me ought to be able to overlook some things. You sin against me, you mistreat me, you get my parking spot, you get my chair, you get my, I need to be able to overlook some things because the love of Jesus is in me. I, it's not hard for me to realize he's forgiven me of so much. So I ought to be able to overlook some things and not hold it against you, mistreat you because maybe you did me wrong. I wish somebody picked that up. That's good stuff. That'll set you free. Do not boss each other. He said, don't go around telling each other and mistreating each other because of perspectives, okay? Y'all ready with me to move on? No? All right, I'll hang out for just a minute. No, I'm kidding. Yes, all, all of you be submissive to one another. Then he says, be clothed with 
Humility. So number three, be clothed with humility. The picture is to put on something. And, and that thing that you put on, it covers you on every side. And so it's not that you're just uh, humble in this area and not humble in that area. The word, this, this picture is to put on something that covers you up. Man, it's a, it's a long robe that covers all of you when you put on you, clothing yourself with humility. Now, what, let me tell you first of all what humility is not. Humility is not, I'm the worst thing that ever happened. That is defined as low self-esteem. Low self-esteem, write this somewhere, is dangerous. Low self-esteem, okay, will cause you to wear your dress too short. Low, what, where'd y'all go? I'm just being honest with you now, okay? Track with me here. Low self-esteem, will, it'll be cut too low. You'll show things that shouldn't be shown. Low self-esteem will do that. You, you, somebody's saying, I wear short dresses and I'm not have. I'm not, may not be talking about you, but it can, and oftentimes it does. It's a kind of a compensation. If I can get attention, then how I feel less about myself, I'll feel better about. Does that make sense to you? Uh, it'll cause uh, a guy or a girl to date somebody who is less than what they're looking for, what they should be looking for. Uh, they'll compromise. They'll settle for uh, because they don't feel, they have low self-esteem, so they'll settle for someone that may even harm them and be not, and be not good for them and not help them be, be better and walk closer to the Lord. Y'all, anybody tracking with me? Uh, low self-esteem produces what we often call in the male uh, little man syndrome. Now, I'm not picking on little men. I'm just saying that that's a phrase used in culture. It talks about when a guy feels short because short's not better than, excuse me, tall's not better than short, but somehow we've, we've adopted this principle that a bigger man is a better man, and that's nonsense, I'm going tell you that. And what happens, though, is because when somebody feels less than, they try to compensate. And when, when you hear somebody use the cultural term uh, little man syndrome, it's because he's trying to make up for it. He's really loud usually. He's dominant usually. He's kind of prideful. And he's just trying to always promote himself in his conversation because he feels less. All right, I'm moving on. Humility is not low self-esteem. Low self-esteem is dangerous. Humility is good. Humility is, in essence, I'm not, God is. Uh, humility is I'm not enough, God is. By the way, be careful about the, I've been seeing lately a tattoos and shirts that'll say, I am enough. No, you're not. You and Jesus are enough. You and Je- some of y'all looking at your tattoo going, oh, Lord. You may have to go back and put, me and Jesus are enough. Uh, or I am enough in Jesus. That would be an accurate statement. But the solo statement, I am enough, is not right. It's not biblical. I am enough in Y'all, I made so many people mad. Y'all are so mad at me right now, some of y'all. I am enough in Jesus. That's the, you know that already. I'm not telling you some new revelation. I'm not enough, but I'm enough in Jesus, okay? So uh, be cl- that's humility. Humility says I'm not enough. You're enough. Humility says I can't, but you can. Uh, and so humility, and by the way, uh, being around humble people, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it fun to be around people who are not always dominating the conversation and they'll talk a little and they'll listen a little and you get to talk a little and then you get to listen a little. Isn't it fun when you have somebody that's not trying to be the guy or the gal and there's humility in this? Let me just kind of talk through this. All right, walk on with me, if you will. Uh, Verse 5, be clothed with humility. All right, now there's three things I want to talk about. You you got three lines underneath there in in your outline, correct? Number one is God works against the proud. 
God works against the proud. Did you write that in there? God works against the proud. What does that mean? Uh, the word, you, you say, well, that preacher says resists. Um, but if you look at the word in the original language, what it means is that God is actively opposing. He's, he's wor- what does opposing mean? Somebody help me. Working against you. Now, how many of you woke up this morning and said, I hope I can get God to work against me? <laughs> the God who said, and breathed out galaxies? And you listen to me. We don't want him working against us. And yet, if we're full of pride, if we lean on us, if we trust in our own ways, if we think we're always right, if we don't turn over to the Word of God, if we're not feeding on the Word of God, if we're not walking humbly with our God, uh, He is actively opposing us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the verse under there. Do you have this verse? Did I put this in your outline? Proverbs, is that in your outline? Okay, good. Proverbs 16, 18. I can go quickly. Pride goes before. Okay, question. Based on what you've just learned, who brings the destruction? <laughs> See how quick you put the dots together? Who brings the destruction? So if I'm full of pride and I don't counsel God, I don't, when I say counsel, I'm not talking about telling God what to do, but I seek counsel from God. If I just live life, make my decisions, do what I want to do, what I can know is that the end of it is going to be destruction. And who's going to be the one who brings that? God. God actively opposes the proud, all right? God works against the proud. Let me move on, all right? Number two, God gives grace to the humble. Now, I love grace, don't you? I love the fact that God gives me what I don't deserve. And, and sometimes you ought to, you, you remember the old hymn that says, count your blessings, count them one by one. What you ought to do sometime when you're feeling down is just start writing down the things that God has graciously given you. Just write them down. Get your phone out when you're at work and you got a little break and you're feeling down and just start typing them out. And I'm telling you before long, it won't take long, and you start writing those down, looking at them, you will, you'll feel a spirit of gratitude coming over you and chasing away those blues. Uh, it's amazing what gratitude will do, all right? So, so God gives grace to the humble. What are the humble? We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So number three in, in your outline there, the blank is this. Uh, we should humble ourselves. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, in, in Peter's writing, he, as he says, therefore, in other words, based on what I just said, this is what you do. Humble yourselves is an, imper- it's a, it's an imperative. In other words, it's a direct instruction for them to do. And so in the same way, the Holy Spirit is saying the same instruction to me and you. You, you imagine there's a you written in there. You humble yourselves. Now, first of all, I had a guy tell me one time, I said, man, we just have to humble ourselves. And the man looked at me and said, we, we, don't, we don't have the power to humble ourselves. And I said, now, wait a minute. And this was the preacher. I said, sure, the Scripture tells us to humble ourselves. No, 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 it doesn't tell us that. I said, well, let me, okay, here we go. Grab your Bible, and let's look at, and I turn to this, and he's not talking to God. Are you all with me? He's not talking to the angels. Um, who's he talking to? Us, the believers. And what does he tell them to do? Humble themselves. So this means we have a decision to make. Do you see that? Do you know that you and I have something called free will? Anybody still out there? I don't put you all to sleep. You're not even participating now. There's something that God's given me and you call free will. Now, someone said the other day, I think that's just all my, I I saw somebody write something about, that's just my flesh. No, 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 no. That's God-given. Be careful what you call what God gave you. Woo. Matter of fact, it's what separates you from the animals. 
And because it separates you from the animals, you can ascertain then when it says, let us make man in our image, part of his image is that we have free will. Be careful how you put your feelings into your theology. So then, free will is a blessing. I do call it oftentimes a blessed curse, right? Because it's a blessing that I'm not a puppet, I'm not an animal, I'm not a dog that can't do anything except what a dog can do. It's a blessing that I am made in the image of God and I get to choose. Especially when the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of that will and I began choosing the right thing. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost uh, strengthens me through his word and through his people and through accountability, through the church and through the spirit. And I began making by my own free will that he's, that he's activated and changed and transformed. I'm now making decisions that glorify him. Man, it's a, way, it's a wonderful way to live. And so, be, again, I, I want you to be careful about uh, those things, okay? So we should humble ourselves. So that means you and I should actively participate in the humbling of our own selves. We get to choose, right? Um, Gerald has a great, where is, is Gerald? He's not in here, is he? Uh, he's got a great story. I hope he's going to share with us soon about, about remaining humble in a situation with a law enforcement officer that could have went south and, uh, at a traffic stop, routine traffic stop. You all with me? And you know in moments when if you're not humble, things can go south real fast. And thank God they didn't. He, he's going to tell you something about that. So we should humble ourselves. We have moments in time in the marriage relationship where we get to humble ourselves. Right? We get in relationships with our friends when uh, maybe they're just, they've had a bad day and they're mistreating us a little bit. And we feel like our feathers get, you all know what I'm talking about? And we want to just let them have it, man. And we get to choose to humble ourselves. And part of that choosing is this. Listen, this is what I do. Lord Jesus, you know what I want to do right now. I need you to help me shut my mouth, change my mind, and in essence, change my heart. Change my heart. Okay, so we should humble ourselves. Now, now what are, I want to ask this question. We've got to hurry. What are some expressions of humility? You see that list under there? Did I give you a list there? Yes, all right, really quickly. What are some expressions of humility? I'll start. Number one, prayer. It's not in any particular order. Prayer is an expression of humility. Do you agree with that statement? You're tracking with me? So then, so then, prayerlessness is pridefulness. If I don't pray much, I have pride much. If I pray much, pride is less. Does that make sense to you? Because prayer is, God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm not sure. I, I, help me. I can't do this. God, I, and it's, it's a constant leaning and communication with the one who we believe can, can help us, can move us, can help us make disciples, can help us share the gospel, can help us glorify him. And so prayer is a constant conversation with the one who we acknowledge is God. I wish somebody would smile at that. That's good, man. It's, prayer is an expression of humility. So prayerlessness is if you didn't pray much today, it means you made a whole bunch of decisions that you could have asked God about, but you chose not to. So think about it. That's something to think about, right? All right. Second thing I want to talk about quickly, uh, expressions of humility, reading the Bible. You get to choose whether you're going to read the Bible or read Facebook. You get to choose whether you're going to read the Bible or read some fiction novel of your favorite author that catches your you know, attention. You get to choose. Nobody chooses for you. You get to choose. That choice of humility will have great ramifications on how you handle life. If you're not handling life well, ask yourself this question. Am I humbling turning to God's word at a heavy dose of it every morning before I start my day? If I'm not, start there. Start taking a heavy dose of it in the morning, first thing, and you'll find you'll start handling life different. It's the craziest thing. 
All right, now, moving on, first prayer, second Bible study. Uh, what are some other expressions of humility? Uh, how about serving? Anybody still out there? Serving. It means I'm taking up my time, talent, treasures, and investing in the kingdom of God. I'm serving other people, okay? How about giving? Is giving an expression of humility? Yeah, because in my estimation, I want to use my money for what I want to use it for. But when I humble myself and use it for the things of God, there, there's some, there, I'm telling you, it's an expression of humility. And there are many others. One more I want to mention, then I'm going to move on, is listening. Would you agree with me tonight that listening is an act of humility? Because truthfully, we always want to talk. And I've noticed something culturally about the world today is that none of us really listens really good anymore. Uh, we've been, so much goes on and we, so many things going on at one time that I, I watch people sometimes, they'll say, man, how you doing? And I watched this just the other day here, here on the grounds. Uh, I watched somebody ask, how, how you doing? And as they were answering, they, walk, they, they were walking off. Now, I, I don't mean, listen, I don't mean that if I'm going to meet with somebody, you're going to meet with somebody and you're on a mission and I get it. You got to say, hey, I, I'm doing all right, man. We'll have to talk later. I get that. But I mean, this person just kind of went over and got coffee and whatever. And, and I'm like, man, that's, that's how we, and, and oftentimes when we listen without humility, we listen and we're waiting for a gap for them to stop talking so we can talk. Y'all tracking with me? We're letting them talk and talk and talking and we're going, come on, just take a breath. Stop for a second. I've got my spot fixing to go. And instead of just ask, I, here's what I'm asking, Lord, Lord, give me humility and listening that I'm considering what are they telling me and what, how are they feeling and what's going on here? And am I supposed to just listen, God, or is there something I should say later? Are they asking me? for some advice, what's going on, and listening. All right, I'm moving on. Uh, those are just a few. That's, they aren't the only ones. Maybe take some time and, and think that on through and think of some other uh, expressions of humility and write them in there on your own notes, all right? Uh, number four, if you will. Number four, write this quickly. Cast your cares upon him. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7. I think you have First Peter 7 there, which is not a thing. How about that? There's another pro proof your pastor is... Very fallible, all right? So if you will, First Peter 5, write a little 5 and a semicolon there. A 5 and a colon, 5 colon 7. First Peter 5, 7, what's it say? Casting all your care upon him. Now notice what he's doing. He's, he's compared pride and, humility, pride and humility and then anxiety. Pride and humility and then anxiety. Listen closely, all right? When you look to yourself, that's pride. When you look to yourself to solve your problems, it will cause anxiety. Anxiety is a form of fear. How many of you know that? How many of you also know that fear is not from God? And so any form of anxiety does not come from God. It's when I have looked to myself for the solution to my problem. And every time I evaluate my problem in light of me, it doesn't take very long for me to realize I'm too small and anxiety starts to build. But what he's saying we should do, we look, at, we look at moving away from pride and being humble. He says all the things that you're worried about, all, the things, all this outside pressure, all the things that are going on in life, marriage and, and single life and, and children and finances and health and all this stuff going on, the economy and all the mess that's going on in the world today. He says you've got to take those things instead of getting anxious because you're trying to work them out in your head, that's pride. Cast them over on him. Slide them over from your side of the table to his side of the table. Come on, somebody. 
Take those things right now, that thing that you've been thinking about, that thing you've been worried about, that thing that's been weighing you down, that thing that's been eating that ulcer, putting that ulcer. Some of you don't even know it, but right now there's an ulcer forming in your gut because you are rolling something around in your mind so so often so because you don't can't find a solution, and you just keep rolling it in your mind. It's keeping you awake at night. And what, and what Peter's saying to them, listen, you've got to make the decision in humility to say, I can't, you can't. Here it is. It's yours. I don't know what to do. Here it is. It's yours. I'm not going to spend another minute thinking about it. Shoop, here it is, God. It's yours. And trust him with the outcome. Now watch what he says. Read on with me here, all right? Verse 7, casting all your cares upon you, for he cares for you, all right? Now let me go back to verse 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. God will do that. He'll exalt you when? Somebody help me. In due time. That's most of our problem. We think we live in a past due kind of time frame, you know? When something happens, I'm like, all right, God, you're late here. Where are we at? Where are we at? What we got going on? Come on, I need you to move. And yet he says when it happens, it'll be the due date. It'll be the date that's due. It's ready. It's just perfect. All the things have lined up, and God says, now the day's right. And we can't see that, and it's so hard for us. But it's a pride issue. And because it's a pride issue, it produces anxiety. And he says, don't. Don't don't do that. Trust him in the timing. Trust him in the circumstances. Trust him in the outcome. Slide that worry back over. Here it is. God, it's yours. And so we're going to do that here in just a moment. Number number five, quickly. Write this one in the blank there, verses 8 and 9. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. How many of you know you have an enemy, an adversary? Somebody hates you. Hates you, hates your children, hates your family, uh, hates anything that's good in your life, really because, and it's really not so much that he hates you, but understand what he hates is for God to get glory. Remember Isaiah 14? Five I will statements from Lucifer, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And it was all about ascending above God and receiving the praise due only for God. And so in your life, when God is receiving praise and things are going well in such a way that God is being glorified, or even in your suffering, you're handling them well, the enemy's on your tail. And he's, I love the picture here. I mean, I don't love, I love the way he illustrates it. He says in verse 8, be sober. Be vigilant. Now, that word sober is a word to be, it means uh, self-controlled. Y'all with me? Now, again, I want to teach you this principle. Self-control doesn't mean controlled by myself because myself, the old nature, loves sin. And I'll mess it up every time. Self-controlled means, maybe write this somewhere, self under the control of the Holy Spirit. Self is controlled, but self is not controlled by self. Self is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Self is not controlled by alcohol. Self is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Y'all help me out. Come on, I've got a pattern building here. Self is not controlled by anger. Self is controlled by? Self is not controlled by bitterness. Self is controlled by? And so you see the difference? And so it, because, because if you let go of the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life and you let anger control you or if you let alcohol or if you let drugs or if you let uh, any other wrong emotion that just dominates, if it leads you, you're setting yourself up for that line to come in and attack your home and attack your life and attack your friends. and attack, He's just going to, and listen to me, he's never satisfied with the level of destruction that he's already achieved. If you think the level of destruction he's achieved, he's, he's like in the movies, okay, I did my thing, let me move on. Oh, no, never. And so it's very important that you and I stay under the control, our self stays under the control of, that preacher said that 51 times. We counted it uh, Wednesday night. That's right. And here's the 53rd. The place of defense is when myself is under the control 
of the Holy Spirit. How do I resist him? Well, that's what we're talking about, all right? So read with me. Be sober, be vigilant. That word vigilant means to be watchful. Now, that means that you are always considering, is this Satan attacking me right here? Is this, is this thing that looks like the best thing I've ever had, is that Satan setting me up? Is this, is this thing that's happening in my life, is it Satan working against me? You see, you're, you're watching. You, it's, the picture is like the watchman in the Old Testament sitting on the wall, looking on the horizon for the enemy to come up and, and try and attack. And I'm not, and, and listen to me, too many of us, and we wonder why we get our cans kicked, too many of us are never watchful for the attacks of the enemy. We're waiting for some demonic red, red demon with pitchfork and, and, and horns and, and something off of a movie. And what the scripture said is that he can masquerade as an angel of light and can look like the best thing that you ever thought you wanted. Um, so you have to be watch on guard. You have to be watching, prayerful, praying, God, give me discernment so that I know the things that are for my good and the things that are not that are for harm. And so he talks about resisting the devil, all right, verses 8 and 9. Moving on down into verse number, again in 8, be sober, be vigilant. Why? You have an adversary. He's the devil. He's working against you. He walks like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may. And that word for devour means to swallow up. It means to gobble up and take in. And uh, anyway, it's not a pleasing word, a pleasant word. Y'all tracking with me? It's not a word that's very appealing. So go on, he says in verse 9. So what am I supposed to do? Verse 9. Resist him. Uh, that word means to actively oppose. Now remember the context. The world's mentality toward them is dog-eat-Christian. Dog-eat-dog out there, but they're specifically dog-eat-Christian. These evildoers have set fires. Let's kill them all. The enemy then is walking them in the midst of that, using these unsaved people who 1 John 5, 19 says is under the control of the devil. Jesus said that to the Pharisees, those who thought they were self-righteous, he said, you're of your father. Does anybody remember? The devil. He said, I'm of my father who's in heaven. But he said, you're of your father who is the devil. So there are two groups of people on planet earth. Not everybody's God's child. Some are the children of the devil. Some are children. What in the world are you talking about? First John 5, 19. We know that we are under the control of the spirit, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the enemy's walking about, and he's using those, uh, those non-believers. And the activity of the non-believers, how they talk, how they live, the debauchery that is their lives, their threats are, are focused on the Christian. And what Peter is saying, if you will humbly rely on the Spirit of God, he'll help you not to respond like they respond. And when you don't respond like they respond, they'll start believing he that's in you really is greater than he that's in the world. And they'll start to be saved by the testimony of Jesus in you. Isn't that good? Well, we're, in, we're finishing this thing with a bang, aren't we? And what a picture here. Resist him. Uh, you have, listen, he says, steadfast in the faith. He's roaring. He's trying to devour and swallow up. And you resist him steadfast in the faith. That means that you're immovable. In other words, there's no, listen to this, there's no disconnect from your faith and your life. See, sometimes we, in here, boy, our faith is strong. When in Walmart, somebody gets our parking spot, There's a disconnect. In here, we raise our hands and we say, I love Jesus. But when it comes time to get in the Word and meet with Him, there's a disconnect. I'm telling you, what He's telling me and you is that this, this faith thing has got to be, it can't just be hit and miss. It's not on our terms. It is life. It's not, a, I heard somebody said not too long ago, oh, Jesus is, is a great part of my life. Oh, well, you've missed it. 
He's not a side dish. He's not a part of your life. He is your life. And there's no disconnect. And so when I get picked on and when people mistreat me, I can't set my Christianity to the side of my follow-up Jesus and say, now I'm going to give them peace of my mind let them have it. And I'm talking about me and you, us, okay? So <clears throat> listen, let me move on if I can. Resist the devil. Resist him steadfast in the face. Experienced by your, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So when you think that it's just you and woe is me, remember, you've got a faith family all over the world that are being persecuted for their faith. And then finally, can y'all believe we've made it to verse 10? And we're not too far over, so we're going to hit it quick, all right? Y'all ready, 10 11? Anybody okay for the fourth quarter? Y'all ready? I mean, the buzzer's about to go off. I need you right here, all right? Wake up. Here we go. Finally, number six, you, you corrected your lettering right, your numbers, Roman numerals. Uh, write this in your notes there. God will still use suffering to make us better. Now, this blows my mind. I hope you got a little energy there because you don't need to miss this. It blows my mind that as you're watching the, how this thing unfolds, that he's saying to them, uh, you've got an adversary trying to attack you on every side, but you resist him. You oppose him. You don't, you don't roll over and act like the world. You rely on the Spirit. Remember, you just came out of humble yourself and let God let you be different. And so he's brought this. And so if you're the audience, you might be reading this and thinking, oh, praise God. If I humble myself and God gives me grace, that means every day is going to be lollipops and gumdrops. No, I, I mean, I know we know that, but, but, but y'all work with me. If you're reading this letter and you're going through the, what they're going through, at this point you're like, okay, well, he's talked a lot about suffering, but now he's finally got to what we wanted to hear, and that if we'll humble ourselves, God's going to give us grace and not resist us, and that must mean that life's going to be easy and we're not going to suffer anymore. I mean, right? I mean, that's how we would think. I know you guys are informed by the Scripture and you would never feel that way, but I can see myself being in the audience reading this and say to myself, okay, as he's reading, thinking to myself, whew, okay, that means that we're not, we're, we're, suffering's done, uh, you know. And so he, it's so interesting to me that he reminds them again, even though you may humble yourself, even though you may respond correctly to the lost world, even though the Spirit of God may be upon you and the Spirit of glory, and you may respond to suffering in a great way to glorify God, even though you may do that, you are still going to, some of y'all are like, yes, Hallelujah. Well, yes, hallelujah. Why? Let me read quickly. Put your eyes on verse 10 and 11. Y'all there? But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, yes, he did, out of darkness into his marvelous light by Christ Jesus, after you have, come on, man, I thought we were just being humble and being blessed by God and God's going to give us gracious gifts of, you know, happy lives. Still going to be some suffering. It's part of it. It's good for us. He's already made that, he's already made that clear. It's going to help us. It's going to refine our faith. We're going to be better because of it. But we need to be reminded of that, don't we? It's so easy to misunderstand suffering and to think God's mean because we suffer. Let me just sort of conclude, if I can, verse 10. But may the God of all grace, he's called us into this wonderful eternal glory. After you have suffered a while. You know what that means? You know, I want to tell you something about that. Suffer for a while, it means it's temporary. He didn't say after you've suffered forever. He says after you suffered. Come on, somebody help me. A while. Now, when you're in the a while, it seems like forever. <laughs> but he said it's not going to be forever. Matter of fact, there's a future glory. Remember the whole theme. There's a future glory coming. It's going to be so good you'll forget all the suffering you've been through down here. A thousand years from now, you'll have no recollection of the suffering you went through down here. And right now it seems so real and so long and you'll never get out of it. Let me read on. After you suffer for a while, what's God going to do? He's going to use suffering to perfect you. You know what that word is in the Greek is katartizo. You know what that word means? This is so wonderful. 
to make ready or suitable to equip in advance for a particular purpose. Now think on it. Think on it. God's going to perfect. You see perfect, you think, oh, he's going to make me perfect. The word katertizo means this, to make ready. Ready for what? Hang on. To make ready, to make suitable. Okay, here's another one. To equip in advance for a particular purpose. So my suffering is making me suitable and prepared for the purpose for which God has ordained for my life. In other words, suffering is adding to me that which I need to fulfill the purpose until my days are up on my quick little journey here on earth. So then, when I suffer, he's adding to me, what, a shield, a sword? I'm, I'm giving you some just allegory here. He's adding to me humility. He's adding to me things that help me relate to people. When I face difficulty, I began to have compassion for people who've been through some of that. I wish somebody would nod their head or something. I've been through some things that when I was going through them, I'm begging God to take them away. But after years later, I'm looking back and saying, God, thank you for those because now I understand a little better about what people are experiencing when they go through. And now I can minister to them in a different way. Equipped for the purpose, and your suffering is equipping you for the purpose. What, what You say, what purpose? The purpose. What purpose? The purpose God saved you for. What is that purpose? To glorify him and every role he's given you. And he's equipping you through suffering. Through suffering. We don't have to dodge it. We don't have to look at it negative. He says, after a while, he'll, after you suffer for a little while, he'll perfect. Listen to these last few words. Establish. That's when the roots grow down deep. It's a, it's a, it's a term that you think about a plant when it's established. The roots go down deep. And so when drought comes, it's okay. You know? Uh, when it's too much rain, it's all right. It's, not, it's, not, it's established. It's set up. Uh, strengthened. We, we're strengthened through our. I, I compare it to squats. If you want your legs to be stronger, put some weight on the bar and do some squats. It's terrible. Huh? Some crazy people love it. It's awful. It burns like fire and it puts pressure on. I'm telling you, it's terrible. But it builds strength in your legs. There's no way around it. Strengthen. And then lastly, settle you. God's going to settle you. After, after this suffering passes, he's going to settle your heart. You know, there's things that I used to be so anxious about and so unsettled that I suffered through some stuff. And now those things don't, they don't bother me. Because he settled me in those areas. Now, there's some other things to do, and I know there's going to be some suffering going to help me get there. But understand, suffering is not to be avoided. Let me conclude, if I could, with verse number 11. Verse 11, to him be glory and the dominion. Y'all help me. Forever and ever. Amen. Main idea tonight, follow God and? All together, you ready? Follow God and? Let's pray together. Will you bow your head with me for just a moment? As we pray, I'm going to say the altar is open, and I want to encourage you, if there's something on your heart you need to come down this altar and pray for, would you do that? Matter of fact, would you stand to your feet with me tonight in case there's somebody close to you that just wants to come down and to pray? And I ask you not to hesitate tonight. We're going to come on and, and, and walk through and obey, and whatever God puts on our heart, uh, we're going to respond to. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to challenge you tonight. Is there somebody who would just come and pray for lost souls? Somebody would come and pray for those who are being attacked by the enemy? Uh, was there anybody out there willing to come and just to pray here at the altar for others, yourself? for your marriage, for your children, for your husband, for your wife. Wouldn't it be great if all of us prayed this prayer for ourselves? God, would you help me to be humble? Help me to be humble. Help me to treat people kindly. 
Help me to understand that lost people act lost. And I'm to love them and not try to modify their behavior, but to introduce them to the Savior. If you're here tonight, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be Lord, then I encourage you tonight, there's no better time than right now. You might, where you're standing, where you're driving down the road, wherever you find yourself in a hotel room or even in a different country, did you know that right now, the Savior, if he's calling, if he's nudging your heart, tonight you could invite Jesus to be Lord. If you would trust that he died for you, the Son of God, that on the third day he rose again. And based on that wonderful gospel, the good news, you would surrender your life and receive Jesus as your Lord, meaning above all things. You'll have to turn away from you being the boss. You'll have to, that's repentance. And you'll have to, with your mouth, confess him as Lord. He'll save you. He'll come be Lord of your life right now, right now. So I encourage you to do that. If you've not, would you do it right now? Would you come to God by way of the cross, the empty tomb, the Savior, Jesus? He's not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. He's a Savior. He's a personal Savior that will walk with you and talk with you. It's the wonderful feeling to have him living on the inside. So, God, tonight I thank you. I thank you for this message. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this people. And I pray, God, that if there's a lost soul, you'd save them. And I pray, God, if there's somebody who's wandering, they'd come home. And I pray, God, for those of us like myself who just need to constantly be reminded, humility is attractive. Help me to stay humble. Help us to remain humble. God, give us the strength to resist the enemy as he tempts us to act like we don't know you. Do whatever you want to do now, I pray. Those who are praying at the altar, don't feel rushed. You continue to pray. We can sing even while you pray. And if you feel led to come, you come. In Jesus' name, amen.